Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Mel. I'm Janet. And Leah. ABGs and ABBs, the month of September is always a busy one, whether it's back to school, end of year projects at work, or getting ready for the holidays. Times are unusual and tough, but that doesn't stop us from continuing to pursue our work in the world. This September, we have been exploring the topic of careers and entrepreneurship. On today's episode, we have Leah Yu, beauty influencer and founder and CEO of Crave Beauty. Leah has an international social media following of over 1 million people. She creates content that educates her followers on low maintenance and effective skincare, sharing her unconventional acne finding tips based on her own personal skincare experience. Leah worked for Amori Pacific, South Korea's largest beauty company, before starting her own brand, Crave Beauty, whose mission is to challenge the fast-paced beauty industry to slow down. In the world of Korean skincare, where 10-step processes are the norm and new products are constantly being introduced, Leah is focused on keeping it simple and true, helping people reset their routines by taking a step back to listen to their skin's true needs and feed it what it craves. Let's welcome Leah to the ABG podcast. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, everyone. Like, I'm a huge fan of the show, and I was just telling everyone how proud I am for taking the leap of faith. I mean, three of you guys are really killing it and really empowering all the Asian Americans and just Asian girls and boys in general. So thank you for doing what you guys are doing. Thank you, Leah. Really appreciate that. And you're calling in from Korea, too. So thank you for scheduling this on a time that worked for you as you were halfway across the world from us. Of course. To start off, Leah, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, so I was actually born and raised in South Korea. I did spend a little bit of time in the States when I was a toddler. So from two to two to eight, I was I grew up in Syracuse, upstate New York. So I'm an East Coast girl. <laughs> mm. And I think that five to six years definitely have impacted my life um, quite significantly because I think I did find um, myself being in between like being a full Korean, but also not being fully American. So I am always in that kind of identity crisis. And I'm not really sure if I did find a good sense of belonging to either culture just yet. But I think I'm proud to be wearing like or be acknowledging um, on both sides. Um, my childhood was really not dramatic at all. I knew what I wanted to do always. Mm. I had the privilege or the luxury to know what I'm passionate about. So when I was really young at 10 years old, my eyes kind of opened when I watched HGTV, <laughs> the home renovation TV. Mm. And I knew that I was going to make people happy by transforming people's houses And I really wanted to become an interior designer or an architect. So that's why I chose to study design in university. Ah, okay. And where did you go to school? I went to Iwa Women's University based in Seoul, South Korea. I majored in architectural and interior design. Yeah. So it's a 180 degree pivot to the beauty industry. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very curious. Like, how did you get into skincare then, Leah? And like, have you always had an interest in this space? Um, not necessarily because I knew that I wanted to become an architect, but I think in senior year, you know, everyone kind of questions what they want to do for the rest of their life, like what job they want to go down to. Um, but for me, skincare was really something that I was interested in because of necessity. Like I had acne prone skin for five years, you know, I've been there, I've done that. I suffered from acne and definitely felt insecure about my skin for such a long time. And 
I think at one point I did have 20 different steps in yeah. a single skincare mm. routine. And my skin was so abused because I was using really harsh medications and just acne skincare products. I definitely was one of the consumers who bought things really mindlessly out mm. of desperation. If you have really bad skin, you will buy everything to cure your acne. Mm. So I think I spent days and nights researching and deciphering skincare and went down that rabbit hole to only freak out my skin more. Mm. And I think that was a pivotal point where I realized that skincare is becoming somewhat of my passion. I think I would rather put it in a way that it just happened so naturally. And so so you went to school and studied architecture, um, and then you ended up working in uh, with Amora Pacific, is that right, in a beauty company? Yeah, that's correct. And then at some point, you started uh, on YouTube. So how, tell us a little bit about how all of that came about. So I started making YouTube videos in my senior year of university where I was pretty confident that architecture or interior design was not the career path that I want to choose or go down anymore. And that's when I was kind of observing where the world is heading, what's happening in the entire world. And that was back in 2012 where Big Bang and Girls' Generation was mm. making a huge like wave or impact in the stateside or in the Western culture. So the K-pop boom definitely did happen then. And I think I saw that uh, a lot of people were very interested in knowing how the girls' generation wore their makeup or why are their skin so good, like what's behind Korean skincare that's so special. And I just saw a white space on YouTube where there was really no one deciphering or reviewing Korean skincare products or yeah, just being like more of a correspondent from South Korea to deliver the trend. So I just casually started creating videos and it just picked up traction very, very slowly. And then I thought that the beauty industry might be very interesting because at the time, K-beauty was just becoming more global and being more recognized in the state side, but it was still very early stage. So I was kind of scoping around what company does K-beauty the best and uh, it was so sure that Amora Pacific was on the very forefront of leading, initiating the trends in Korean skincare. So I just applied for Amora Pacific and then I got the job. And so mm. you were kind of continuing with your YouTube content all on the side as well during during your job? Uh, yes and no, because I didn't really get to upload that much because the working hours were pretty, <laughs> pretty overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think I would upload probably once or twice a month at most. But yeah, I try to maintain it. Well, yeah, I think starting your own business apart from Amore Pacific, I feel like the skincare market is already so incredibly saturated and so focused on these complicated ingredients with lately more focus on natural ingredients. Can you share with our listeners how you started Crave Beauty? Yeah, that's a great question and definitely a great analysis of the current market and the landscape of the beauty industry. But I definitely want to ask you this, like, why do you apply a toner or why do you apply an essence? Because people tell me to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to be honest, though, I feel like my skincare routine, I thought I had it down um, based on what, yes, what other beauty, you know, gurus on YouTube have said, you know, like, use a toner, take off the rest of your makeup, apply essence so that it's more like a sponge and it absorbs all of the other lotions and things that you put on your face. But I've gone to a point, I'm now in my 30s, where... I still feel like I have acne prone skin and I'm just like, WTF, mm. like, why is this still happening despite all of these expensive products mm. that I'm buying? Is that the same with you all, Mel and Janet? I feel like I heard like, oh, everyone talks about the, you know, Korean, the 10 steps Korean skincare. I was like, you know, I got to jump on this. And to be honest, I didn't know the difference between toner <laughs> and essence. I had to Google it a bunch of times. Like when I bought it, I'm like, when I bought it, I was like, I still don't understand the difference. And like, I think when everyone around you is using oh, they, they include toner or essence in their skincare, you kind of feel like, oh, I, I need to include toner or essence in my skincare too. So I, I'm told what Google tells me. Uh. <laughs> I think for me, I um, I was influenced a lot by my mom growing up and she was mm. she took care of her skin a lot. So I did that growing up. But then when I started going out on my own, I got a lot lazier and went back to basics <laughs> and really just only applied like moisturizer. And then as I was getting older, I noticed that my skin would dry out. So toner was something that I did 
I went to purposefully to try to like kind of retain more moisture. Mm. But is it helping? I don't really know. <laughs> like if I didn't, <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I think um, that's the majority of the people right now. It turns out like many people actually don't know why they are applying certain steps or certain things. And I think same with diet. I know, Helen, you're a very big advocate in eating healthy and, you know. <laughs> Health and fitness, yeah. More fitness. And you see like keto diet being a thing and then plant-based diet being a thing, a whole 30 being a thing and then intermittent intermittent fasting like had its own craze too and we try literally everything whether our body likes it or not whether our body agrees to it or not but pretty soon you come to realize the best thing that you could do to your body is to listen to your body and practice very intuitive and intentional eating and I think skincare has become far more complicated than it should be like Helen pointed out and it shouldn't be that complicated it should be more like how you practice intuitive and intentional eating just listen to your skin more and just feed what it craves Um, I noticed that I was on the end of the consumer side where I was applying 20 different products. And at one point, I didn't really know why I was applying all these 20 different steps. And it just felt like, why do I feel like I need a PhD degree to enjoy skincare? You know, the industry is creating products that will probably sell rather than the products that's absolutely necessary. We've been trained to apply more than what our skin actually needs, which can disrupt the skin's natural ecosystem, the natural moisture barrier. And I think that itself has left us really overwhelmed. And I think the aha moment for me is that our skin is damn smart. Our skin is really a really brilliant regulating organ on its own. And all we need to do is to really respect the skin's natural functionality and just work with it. But what a lot of other traditional beauty companies tell you is that your skin can't function on its own, therefore you need X, Y, and Z. But what Crave Beauty wanted to tell you is that, you know, your skin is really smart. Therefore, you only need probably cleanser, moisturizer, and sunscreen as just a basic, simple routine. And whatever you add additionally is going to be a supplementary product. Mm. When your skin has slowed down and it's like shedding, you know, your skin has natural cycles. And sometimes with the lifestyle change or with stress, there's pimple or you know, the skin cellular turnover does slow down, that's when you need to implement some good and gentle exfoliator to push out the dead skin cells. Or if you are aging and if you do have mature skin, that's when the biological clock is going to slow down naturally. So then you apply retinal products to kind of speed up or nudge the process. I think it's all about um, really working with the skin, not against the skin. And we really wanted to have everyone celebrate a very, well, my intention with Crave Beauty was to spread this liberating moment with everyone and saying that your skin is actually really smart. So believe in your skin a little bit more and work with your skin rather than work against it. So that's how Crave Beauty mm. was born. Wow, I love that. That's such a nice I know. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Give me all your skincare products. Yeah. <laughs> I want to use all of them. I mean, yeah, I, I do think um, for me, it's I'm currently in that phase of I'm just trying a bunch of different things that I think will work. So anytime I get a pimple, I'm like, okay, need to find like the best acne cream and then just buy the best one on like Amazon or something and, and put that on my face. And then suddenly I'm using that because it's a whole bottle. And I, I, I feel like mm. I strip my, my natural skin of the natural oils and whatever it is. And then I also question myself. It's like, there's conditioner on my hair and sometimes it falls on my face. Is that face wash? Like, how does my skin know what's face wash and what's like just soap that's hitting my face, you know? <laughs> I don't know. These are random questions I think about. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how Helen's thinking about this because Leah literally, um, I think I was like touching Helen's skin. I was like, oh my God, your skin is so soft. She's like, oh, it's this lotion I use. And she showed me this lotion. She's like, oh, it's this brand. I was like, oh, that's really cool. So she put it on. And two minutes later, she's like, wait, that's conditioner I've been putting on my skin. <laughs> So she's been like, wait, she was thinking that this conditioner was lotion for the longest time. And I was like, wait, what is that? But I mean, yeah, it no, it was it was one of those. Um, wait, a hair conditioner? Yeah, it was one of the uh, the uh, hotel. You know how in hotels they have like three bottles and they're all they all look the same. They're just labeled like conditioner, body wash, you know, lotion. Yeah. And I thought one of them was for sure lotion. So I've had it in my bag for a long period of time of using it. And it smells amazing. I mean, if that's Helen's skincare <laughs> secret, I would I would definitely go buy the conditioner. 
Helen, you know, your question's very valid. I mean, because technically that, it worked, right? It worked. I guess, yeah. But when, Leah, as you're talking through, like, you know, what your skin, how your skin's intuitive, and, like, it makes a lot of sense when you spell it out that way. Um, mm. And I'm just curious, because, like, you know, obviously you started Crave Beauty, and we know your team now has grown so much, but, um, like, how, how big was your team originally when you started, and how, how many people are on your team now, and, like, what do they do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think starting out, I was lucky enough to have um, a girl called Rachel reach out pre-launch. And I think I had a YouTube video or a vlog saying that I'm in the midst of launching a brand. And then Rachel reached out to me like she straight up cold emailed me saying that she wants to help, whatever it is. I'm down to work on a pro bono basis and just offer a second hand. So we met up in New York and then she was one of those people who's like really down to do literally anything. And I was lucky enough to have her on board as our first part-timer. And she did everything, including customer service, working with the fulfillment fulfillment center, setting up the Shopify and doing even copywriting for a lot of things and the website as well. And it wasn't until a year after the launch of the brand that I was able to offer her a full-time position with benefits. So since then, our team definitely grew to... I think including all the contractors and interns across the world, um, we do have about 20 people on the team. So 12 in the state side, eight on the Korea side. So the Korea team functions more as being in charge of the product development, liaising between the suppliers and the manufacturers and making sure the products are you know, well-made and controlled well. And we do have our marketing team, a very small and lean marketing team in Korea as well. And the U.S. team functions as more of a headquarter where we do map out like what is our business strategy going to be. And we do have a solid marketing team there, uh, which is huge on social media. I think, Leah, going back to your experience at Amore Pacific, before starting Crave Beauty, what did you do at Amore Pacific? And what was the most important thing you learned from that job that helped you take Crave Beauty to where it is today? Yeah, I was in charge of managing their brand.com, so the main e-com front of their business. And I can't really say that the technical skills that I acquired while working for that department necessarily translated to what we do now. And I thought it was my experience there was pretty useless. But now looking back, I think the most valuable lesson of having worked in such big corporation, especially in the beauty industry, is that it's given me a full 360-degree view of what functions are needed to run a beauty company. So it was a good business school in a way, and you see why quality control function exists, why customer inside department matters, why certain brands operate in the way they do, and it all makes sense now as to why a more Pacific has made certain decisions in investing or acquiring new companies to penetrate and expand to a whole new territory. So it was a really good business lesson and I'm really grateful to have experienced that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of things that we, we talk about this in our previous episodes, but like I feel like corporate experience has really it gives you a lot of insight how to run like a company or like just understanding like how the whole system works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because when you're in the corporate, sometimes you're like, I don't know how I feel, but when you're out, when you're like, when you, when you take a step back and look at it as a whole, you're like, I understand how everything works. Yeah. And I feel like we apply a lot of these things that we learned also to the podcast. Um, so Leah, how long were you working at Amori Pacific? And at what point uh, did you start Crave Beauty while you were there? And when did the transition happen? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was, I worked for Amori Pacific for two and a half years. And then I quit my job to actually become a full-time content creator. My YouTube was fairly small, but I thought that there is something here that I really want to test out. I wouldn't know what's going to happen if I didn't commit full-time. So I did, in a way, take a full leap of faith um, to become a full-time content creator. So I did that for another two to three years. And it wasn't until after being a full-time content creator for two and a half years then I started noticing a pattern or a problem in the industry that I want to solve. And that's when Crave Beauty was born. Um, Leah, what year did you start Crave Beauty again? So I started Crave Beauty at 2017 December, so 2018. Oh, wow. It's only been two years. Yeah, almost three so years crazy. now. Yeah. 
Dang. I quit my job in 2015. Okay, so you kind of, you have some experience kind of be on your own for the past five years, and then Crave Beauty came in 2017. Yeah. Um, no, it's crazy. We know Crave Beauty is now sold globally in the U.S., South Korea, Malaysia, and Singapore. You know, which country did you start in, and how was the process of going global? So we started from the U.S. and South Korea, and the majority of my followers are from the state side, so it only made sense for us to launch in the states first. And Korea, since we manufacture all of our products here, and I think Korea serves as a really important and a very meaningful market because you know, how cluttered and how fast-paced the beauty industry is here. It's very competitive, super saturated. The customers here are very overwhelmed by the, you know, the overwhelm of products. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was going to be really meaningful to actually make an impact in this really cluttered beauty industry. So Korea and the U.S. And then slowly we moved to expanding to Malaysia and Singapore. But I think right now our focus is not to expand but to intentionally grow first. I think the internal, as much as we do want to provide the accessibility and meet other people in other different regions, it would be so great to have a growing business as a global business, but I think it does come at a cost where the operations internally can also suffer if you're not ready. Mm -hmm. So we're taking our time to kind of, you know, audit and do some internal work first before we spread our wings i understand the challenge of that um mm. but i'm just curious too leah since you did start in the you did start in the u.s and you have operations in korea like do you feel like there's different trends you know comparing the u.s and korea in terms of like crave beauty or skincare so an interesting difference that i observed between the south korean products and the american skincare products are the potency or the efficacy of the products mm -hmm. and in south korea you actually don't find a lot of retinol products or strong aha products whereas in america when you walk into sephora or ulta all you see is like really high potent like super efficacious mm -hmm. like almost medical grade skincare products and i think it is due to the fact that the medical care or the healthcare system in the u.s is it serves as a very high barrier so if anyone has acne or if anyone wants to change their skin, their first first line of defense is actually to find skincare products that will deliver results. So it's very results oriented. Whereas in South Korea, going and visiting dermatologists is more like you do it like you would get a hair trim every month, you know? Oh wow, that's interesting. So, yeah. So it's very affordable. It, you know, you pay like thirty to fifty bucks to get a checkup and then Laser treatments are very affordable too. So if anyone has a skin problem or if anyone wants to improve their skin, their first line of defense or the first choice is to visit a dermatologist. And with all the skincare products, it's normally to recover, rejuvenate, or soothe your skin. So it's very much focused on moisturization or pure hydration without having a strong active ingredient. So I think that, that was a very interesting um, difference that I noticed. Dang, I need to move to Korea. <laughs> for me, I am always looking for ways to make my life easier and more efficient. The ability to offload even the smallest tasks can free up my mental space and make a really big difference. One thing that I've been loving is the convenience of turning on my lights with the power of my voice through Alexa. And right now, Amazon Alexa is offering a special smart lighting bundle for our listeners. When I enter my house, I just say, Alexa, turn on the lights, and then it just turns on. It's kind of like if I had a boyfriend and he turned on the lights for me, you know, it feels nice. You know, the setup was super easy. Just connect your new smart bulb to the Echo Dot and you're all set. You can set every possible mood to, you know, set the mood for yourself with over 60 million light colors to choose from. You can also set lighting routines to gently wake you up in the morning, help you wind down at night, or completely turn off at a certain time. Right now, you can get 20% off your Amazon Smart Lighting Bundle only at Amazon.com ABG. Every bundle includes an Echo Dot smart speaker and a single color changing light bulb. That's Amazon.com ABG to get 20% off and take advantage of this amazing smart home deal. Amazon.com ABG. Hey, BGs and hey, BBs. How are y'all doing? How are y'all really doing? We know that it's like to experience periods of emotional and mental strain, so if you're having a hard time right now, we feel you. Something the three of us have found extremely helpful during challenging times is talk therapy, which we want to share with you all too. We're partnering with BetterHelp, an online counseling service available to our listeners worldwide. 
I've worked with therapists in the past, and when Shelter in Place started earlier this year, I signed up for BetterHelp and found the virtual component incredibly helpful. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Personally, I work the best with video, but you can select a counselor who does messaging, phone calls, or video sessions. You can also change counselors at any time. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com ABG10, that's Better H-E-L-P, and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. They have a special offer just for ABG listeners where you can get 10% off your first month. Try it out at BetterHelp.com ABG10. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. So Leah, you talked about being a content creator and starting the brand off of that, but can you go a little bit deeper? What was your first product that you decided to make with Crave Beauty? How did you figure out the ingredients to use? Did you know who your competitors were? And how did you essentially brand and market it to essentially create your stake in the skincare industry? Um, So our intention was to press reset on whatever is happening in the beauty industry. I wanted our products to be almost like a medium or a vehicle to deliver that message. So the first product was actually our matcha hemp hydrating cleanser. And at that time, I noticed that a lot of people, especially if you do have acne prone skin, the first thing that you do or the basic essential skincare, I guess, habit that you do pick up is washing your skin more than three times a day or making sure that your skin is super squeaky clean so that there's no bacteria breeding or your skin is just sparkling clean. And I think that was one of the biggest skincare mistakes that I have made and a lot of people are making because it's only disrupting your natural skin's ecosystem where it's supposed to protect your skin. So the skin barrier is something that can easily get compromised by over cleansing. And the detergents and the cleansing agents in the cleanser, if it's too harsh, it can dissolve and it can pretty much compromise the natural lipid, the natural moisture that your skin has, which leads to more sensitized, more acne prone, and more just vulnerable and sensitive skin. So that's why I wanted to press reset on the harsh cleansing habits. So we wanted to create a really uber gentle, super hydrating, skincare, uh, skin barrier friendly cleanser. So that's how I started with that product. Finding the formulator and working with cosmetics chemists, that's something that I really do enjoy and it's probably one of the most enjoyable (laughs) part of my job. Um, So I pulled a lot of connections and definitely cold emailed a lot of the people here in South Korea. And because I was a one-man show, pretty much. I had to, you know, do a lot of presentation, not to investors, but to cosmetic chemists and make sure that they believe in me first to create the best product. And I think in Korea, the infrastructure is so well set up to just create a brand and create a product in such a fast short turnaround time so let's say if Estee Lauder comes to Korea and they want to create a cleanser you can pretty much shop for a stock library formula from all these different manufacturers within a month you'll be set to launch the product that's how fast everything could go around in the beauty industry here but since I wanted to make something that's really I guess different from whatever is out there 
it actually did take a lot of convincing. I would have to say, like, sometimes they lost their integrity in a way of a cosmetics chemist because they're so used to pumping out formulas that would just satisfy their clients, who's the brand, not the end consumers. Mm. So mm. it was really interesting to kind of convince them and persuade them to think in the way that why this cleanser matters to a human biology level. And I think at first they were like, why are you making our work so much harder <laughs> because why why wouldn't you just choose any stock formula and just market or package it in Crave Beauty packaging mm-hmm. and then just call it a day like it'll be so much easier but then I knew that you know that wasn't the reason why I jumped into this business and I wanted to make it really unique and special so it took a long time to actually meet the formulator that would agree and that believed in the bigger vision or had some sort of passion in really making the formula that works with the skin, not against it. So do you feel like, based on your experience at Amore Pacific, you were able to know what specific ingredients are currently out there in those sort of more generic formulas? And you knew yourself that I did not want, you know, that to be the main ingredient in Crave Beauty? Actually, I didn't pick up those knowledge from working in Amore Pacific because I was not in the product development department or I didn't work closely with the R&D unit there. Um, It was really about just diving deeper and deeper into reading and dissecting the medical journals in order to speak in the chemist's language. So if I were to convince a cosmetics chemist, I need to speak in their language. And in order to do that as someone who's not you know, who didn't study chemistry or biology or anything that has to do with science, I needed to kind of level up my knowledge to the best that I can. And I worked with a lot of research assistants as well. So someone who is studying dermatology, someone who is studying PhD in microbiology and biology and chemistry, um, I used a lot of their help to make sure that I know what I'm talking about so that I can convince the chemists. Got it. And so you talked to the chemist, you got your formula, you're happy with the product that you have. How did you go about branding and marketing it and essentially growing the company? Yeah, so the branding and marketing part comes a little bit more naturally to me. I think as a content creator, you are a storyteller at the end of the day. And I don't really like the term marketing because I think um, the approach that we do take is education and our, our way of marketing was actually telling people to cleanse less while selling a cleanser. So it <laughs> kind of goes against the typical, very traditional mar- like sales-driven marketing. But my intention was not to sell 10 different products to one customer. It was all about selling one product to 10 different customers or beyond that. So my game was all about volume and the mass of the people that I can attract. And the branding and the marketing side kind of revolved around like, how can we actually tell the truth to the customers so that they know how to choose skincare, they know when to incorporate an AHA product. So it was more about education. I like that approach a lot. Education and transparency. Yeah. It's the winning combination. Yeah. So Leah, you've shared uh, quite a bit about, um, I guess, the overall challenge of just starting your product and your company and your brand because it was going kind of the opposite direction of the industry. But were there any specific memories you have of a, a very particular challenging experience, perhaps the most you know, challenging experience you've had as an entrepreneur uh, specializing in skincare? I would say it's every day. (laughs) Every day you need to encounter a new challenging experience. And I think to me, um, the zero to one stage was not hard at all. So for me to go out there to convince the cosmetics chemists and to do the branding and the marketing and building the foundation of the brand, that wasn't really hard because it only required my grit, my hard work, and the persistence. When your company grows into being one to 10 and then next 10 to 100. That's the stage I feel the most challenging um, because as I said, from one to 10 as a founder, you need to start thinking as a CEO, not a founder anymore. And that requires not only being the visionary of the company, but also becoming a leader to make the key hires and downloading your vision to those people who can champion the brand on behalf of you and then there's a next stage like from 10 to 100 then the ceo really needs to think in almost a coo type of a really solid operator to scale the business and this requires building 
the right building blocks, the right operational foundation, embedding a really strong organizational structure, systems, and the right company culture, the team culture, and setting things up internally for growth. So I think for every founder, every entrepreneur, as you grow the business, there there will be a stage where you need to move away from being in that tactical execution mode and move on to being more proactive and you know, move into being in a strategic thinking mode. And I have to say that that transition is probably the most challenging to me as a founder. And it came with a lot of growth pains because I'm a founder, but I didn't have a CEO experience or a background of running a company. And being a CEO definitely implies and entails a lot of different skill sets, personal traits, leadership skills, and yeah, Every day is a new challenge. (laughs) But I think, you know, as a founder, you don't really need to do it all. You just need to identify if you are a discoverer or if you are an optimizer, because there are a lot of founders who actually find the zero to one stage the hardest, whereas they might enjoy like growing the business from one to 10 and then 10 to 100. So just identify like who you are as a human being and then bring on people who can complement your weaknesses. I think that's the way to go. Dang, that was very, very insightful. I feel like I was like taking mental notes as Leo was talking. <laughs> um, no, this is no. These are these are really great tips. I feel like you like are really thoughtful, and you probably went through a lot to understand the different steps to go through. Mm-hmm. And I do think like the fact that you said I had to go from founder to CEO and change that mentality, and I can see how that's difficult for people, especially as a, as a founder. You're like you're you're started from the the nitty gritty of knowing how to handle and execute, and going pretty on the strategic hat a little. It's a, it's a transition, so I can see how that's like one of your challenges as an entrepreneur, but. I'm just also curious, Leah, you know, do you have any challenges you face as an Asian female business owner? I think more than being an Asian female business owner, I did face a lot of ageism or because I do look young. Mm. I'm 32 or 31 in America, but mm. because I look much younger in the stateside, I feel like a lot of people do judge me or like do think less of me in business settings. Like, what do you know? You know, you're just an influencer like um, who might not know the business. I think that's something that I needed to overcome. And in the States, because I'm also not fully an Asian American myself. So I think that played in my head in kind of, you know, growing some insecurities of feeling like I'm a first-gen immigrant, just like probably your parents. <laughs> mm. So I'm starting from the ground ground up here. And that's just my insecurity. I just naturally feel small at times. And that's why I just want to show my worth with my work. So I want people to come to me mm. instead of me coming up to them in conferences And I'm naturally a very introverted person as well. So I don't like making small talks anyways, or I don't really find joy in, you know, talking to strangers. So I, I think that really motivated me to just do good job at my work. It's a beautiful strategy to take. (laughs) (laughs) So you've shared this a bit with us uh, prior, Leah, but uh, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? And what is your least favorite part? My favorite part of the job is definitely product development and anything creative. But I think talking to formulators and really challenging the formulators and chemists to see the value of this creation of the formula and seeing how the output changes by really redirecting their attention and just empowering the vision of there's something bigger here. Um, I have convinced a lot of chemists who were in the industries for over 20 years, and they're accustomed to creating formulas that are just like, you know, average, that will sell well, that's just trendy, that has came to me presenting like all these different, very average library formulas. But if I can change their mindset into thinking, you know, we are really going to help and serve customer skin and really going to create a formula that will work with someone's skin. Um, And just seeing how I can motivate these chemists who were kind of jaded in their job for 20 years, I think that's the biggest joy that I find internally. Um, But yeah, solving problems is something that I do enjoy. The least favorite job is probably people management. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't want my team to take it the wrong way because, you know, my CEO of the company says she doesn't enjoy people management on the podcast. <laughs> but I think it's because I believe there are better leaders out there. And I'm not a natural leader. It's not within me. I mean, it's something that I work towards to learn every single day. I experiment. I try different kind of leadership skills here and there, kind of you know, unknowingly that so that my team doesn't notice. But I think there are better people out there than me who really enjoys coaching and who is a natural leader. Wow, you are so incredibly um, self-aware. I think that's something that's mm-hmm. it's something that's very important. And we actually just recently did, um, you know, a couple of episodes focused on better understanding our personal skill sets as, you know, career women. Um, so it's so refreshing to hear you talk about as someone who's been an entrepreneur for what, only two years and you've gained all of this personal insight. Um, what an awesome example for our listeners. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I love that you know your strengths and your weaknesses. Mm. Um, and I also love that like the favorite part of your job is working with the chemists and, you know, making them yeah. feel like they're inspired to do their job more yeah. too. I think that's incredibly cool. Um, well, your team is growing, Crave is growing, you're growing as a founder and CEO. Can you share with our listeners what is next for Crave Beauty? Yeah, absolutely. So 2020 was a very interesting year for us, not because of COVID, but also because of COVID too. Um, I intentionally set out 2020 and announced it to the team that there's not going to be any sales target or a revenue goal for this year. I saw that the business was growing very well organically um, to a point where it almost felt like we're so busy catching up to the growth instead of being really proactive and setting, you know, certain things in the internal operations in, in advance. So I saw that the internal operations were kind of suffering because of the unknown or unexpected growth that was happening in Crave Beauty. So 2020 was all about planting the right seeds in the internal departments so that we can really scale the business in a very healthy way. And that goes back to, you know, is our financial runway healthy? Is our cash flow healthy? And then is our product roadmap solid? And to that extension, we did decide not to launch any new products in 2020. And we actually wanted to announce that to the world that, you know, in order for us to say say that we want the industry to slow down or we want the planet or we want the world to slow down for the planet, we just wanted to show our commitment in what we're doing. So in sustainability, I feel like there's a lot of focus that's placed on making sure our packaging is recyclable or making sure that, you know, our products are refillable. But not a lot of companies actually do think about decreasing and reducing the unnecessary demands that they are creating in the market. And I think in order to really be more truly sustainable for every consumer goods business is to kind of internally audit their product portfolio, see if there's any unnecessary products that they are selling and probably, you know, purge and prove their product portfolio. So we wanted to make sure that we send a message out there saying that, you know, the reduce from the three R, the waste mechanism, the waste hierarchy um, is probably the most important and will be the most significant in making the business more sustainable. So we announced that we are not going to launch any new products, but then in the meantime, internally, we did a whole life cycle sustainability analysis within the team, within our with the suppliers, with the manufacturers, with the logistic partner that we're working with. So we got to cal- calculate all of the carbon footprint that we are generating as a business. And we set some capes really strong, very aspirational, <laughs> but still realistic KPIs for us to achieve for the following few years. And we did um, set up some really great sustainability goals. So that's something that I'm really excited about to share with the world. And hopefully we can also not only empower the beauty industry to slow down in terms of, you know, for the health of the skin, but we want to empower the entire industry, um, whether that's fashion industry or other consumer goods industry to slow down for the planet as well. I love how your whole strategy with Crave is doing sort of the opposite of what is expected, mm-hmm. being transparent and educational yeah. um, instead of pushing traditional marketing, reducing waste instead of pushing additional new products by being aware of you know your impact on the world. 
that is very, very cool. Thank you. As you may know, I've been living my stretchy PJs at home, and I forget how I feel in regular clothes. Now with us filming Dear ABG, sitting in front of the camera for so long can get uncomfortable, and I find myself spending a lot of time adjusting my clothes before we press record. For those days to give me that added confidence, I wear shapewear from shapermint.com. The three of us got the everyday high-waisted shaper shorts and the high-waisted leggings, which give us a polished look and long-lasting comfort. We also love that Shaper Mint has tanks, shorts, bodysuits, and more. Shapewear for every occasion. In addition to the everyday discounts and promos Shaper Mint has on their website, we have a deal just for our listeners that will save you on an extra 10% on your order. But you must go to shapermint.com ABG and use our code ABG. That's S-H-A-P-E-R-M-I-N-T dot com slash A-B-G, code A-B-G, to get this exclusive listener added discount of an extra 10% on your order. Hi, everyone. You may have heard us talk about Green Chef before on the podcast. Today, we're bringing to you America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. HelloFresh owns Green Chef, which allows them to offer a wide variety of meal plans to choose from. I personally love switching between the brands for when my taste changes or when I want to eat a little differently between delivery services. And we'll offer you a discount to try out HelloFresh too. I've been making a ton of Chinese dishes at home and having HelloFresh helps me to break out of my recipe rut and try new dishes. And there's something for everyone too. I usually get the veggie and meat option for me and Philip. Mel gets the locale and Janet, you know she's got the vegetarian box on lock. HelloFresh has donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019, and this year they're stepping up food donations to local communities amid the coronavirus crisis. Go to HelloFresh.com ABG80 and use code ABG80 to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. Again, that's HelloFresh.com ABG80 and use code ABG80 to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. HelloFresh.com ABG80. We wanted to ask you um, just some personal questions, if you don't mind answering. Absolutely. How has your culture influenced the work that you do? I think Koreans are naturally really hard workers. And perhaps that's something that I picked up from working in Korea or studying Korea and growing up in Korea. So I naturally tend to put more hours than probably other people in the States. But I think other than that, I can't really think of anything that heavily influenced my how I work. That is a that's a great answer. I think you coming from um, a different culture or like having spent time working or growing up in that certain country, you probably did absorb a lot of the the work ethic. Oh, I have a very interesting story to share. There was a huge cultural shock. I've never worked in a U.S. based company before, so I worked in a very strict, like very hierarchical Korean work culture where any juniors are never allowed to speak up their opinion. And I moved to the States like three years ago, and then I started running my own company. And then it was so natural for all the interns or even juniors to come up to me, like giving feedback Mm. of what I do. And I'm like, holy shit, like, what is this? (laughs) I would never expect this to happen in Korea. So Mm. I think at first there was probably like six months of trying to adjust to this like new um i guess radical candor like in both ways (laughs) Mm. you know that was a really huge adjustment for me it was a huge cultural shock but i think in the end i saw the value of you know the direct reports giving feedback to the managers because that's the only way to grow as a leader as a manager right like you you really need to receive feedback and I think soon I realized that, oh, this is actually one of the best traits that I found found from working in America. And then Mm. I'm trying to implement that slowly to our Korea team to see like if we can have that radical candor, Mm. like that safe space for everyone to speak up and then communicate really openly and very vulnerably, um, because I think that's not really what's expected in the Korean workforce. And I think that often suffocates or sub suppresses creativity from happening. It's such a cool example of how your dual culture can really benefit you from a business perspective and you can really bring like the best parts of both worlds or different working styles. Yeah. So now another personal question, um, you know, you 
uh, specialize in skincare, our listeners would love to know what is your current favorite skincare item that you're using right now? Yeah, I'm going to do a shameless plug in here, <laughs> if that's okay with everyone. Please, please plug away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's our Great Barrier Relief, and it's basically a skin barrier restoring serum. It's super nourishing, and I tend to use that only during the winter time in colder months, but I started noticing because we have to wear masks every single day, you know, everyone's skin mm -hmm. is almost really sensitized because of the physical friction and because the air is not circulating. A lot of people are experiencing mask knee as well. Have you guys experienced that? I've heard. I've heard a lot of friends that, um, especially those who have to go into work and are wearing masks all day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of mask knee. Yeah, so I think Great Barrier Relief has been coming in really, really handy for soothing down and just rejuvenating and regenerating the skin. And yeah, I think... My skincare routine currently is super simple. After I cleanse my skin, I apply either a serum or an essence, depending on what my skin needs, and then I just finish it off with Great Barrier Relief. And then the next following morning, I do wake up with really comfortable, like very well-rested skin. Awesome. Wonderful tips. <sighs> Lee, I'm going to have to hit you up after this. Okay. I need some help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll be happily offering you a very free skin consultation. Oh, thank you, Leah. Well, I feel like you shared a lot of incredible advice that so many of us can take away from this podcast. To close out this discussion, what is the best piece of advice that you can give to a listener out there who might have just quit their jobs or who might be thinking of it mm. and is interested in pursuing their own interests and passions? Oh, there are so many. Um, but I think the biggest lesson from my entrepreneurial journey is to learn the art of surrendering. You know, you need to know that there's something that is controllable and there's something that is completely outside your control. And the best that you can do for the uncontrollables is to pray for the best. But then as someone who is a perfectionist or who are control freaks like myself, it was very hard to let things go and to surrender to the universe. And there was a podcast that I was listening to and there was a Panera Bread founder who was talking about basically learning how to surf with the wave that is coming at you and that is being presented to you. I think that's definitely one of the biggest lessons that I learned because the more you want to go against the wave, you're only going to drown or you're only going to fall off your surfing board. So just finding the right balance of what can I control and just letting things go on the uncontrollable plate is something that was a big learning lesson that I want everyone to know who is interested in starting their own journey. Mm, that was so beautiful. I love that. I love the idea of surrendering. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. I feel like it was super insightful. and We're actually taking away a lot of lessons that you shared. Uh, we're so happy to have you on to share your story with our listeners. And where can our listeners find you online? They can find me online at Leah Yu across all social media. So Instagram, TikTok, and on YouTube. And for Crave Beauty, it is at Crave Beauty with a K. Crave Beauty starts with a K. So K-R-A-V-E beauty.com and Crave Beauty on Instagram. We have some partnerships that we want to share with you all. Uh, better help for the help that we've been getting to get through these rough few months. Ritual for our daily dose of vitamins and daily harvest for some truly delicious delivered to your door meals. The links and codes you can use for a discount can be found in our show notes. For more partnership discounts, head to our website. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a rating and a review at Asian Boss Girl. And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can do so at anchor.fm slash Asian Boss Girl slash support. We are also very active on social. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl. If you enjoyed the episode today, screen cap the podcast, tag us, and we may reshare on our IG story. Also find us on YouTube where we have started posting some videos. Subscribe at Asian Boss Girl. And thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And thank you again, Leah, for sharing your story with us today. Catch you all in the next episode. Bye! Bye.